Our scripture reading from this morning comes from Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 through 40. And as you are able, as we hear God's word, will you please stand with me? Hear God's word from Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die." Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves, and you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went. And took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were in the house with her, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So when he went in to his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. 
As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard these words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Pastor Ben, for reading a very brief scripture reading this morning, and well done, everyone, for staying standing through it. Uh, This actually is an encouraging passage, and I want to try and show that to you. It's a story, of course, and my goal this morning is to tell the story, and then we'll think together what we are meant to learn from it. And so the story, as I say, is actually an encouraging one. Let me set it up for you like this. In many ways, I think it could be said that each of us, every human being on the face of the planet, is really telling themselves one of two stories. I think I can make an argument for that, but it would take a long time, so I'm just going to presume that I'm correct. We are either telling ourselves one story or the other. One story goes like this. If I am a good person, then good things will happen to me. It's a very common story. People tell themselves that story all the time, and it has some rational foundation. After all, if you do good, would you not expect good to happen? But there is another story. And very much it is the story of Genesis and indeed the story of the Bible. We're looking at this book of Genesis, and as we've seen in preceding weeks, it is the book of beginnings. The word Genesis means beginning, and it's the foundational narrative, really, for the story of the Bible. And in Genesis, there is a different kind of story. 
Its story goes a bit like this. God has a plan to bless the whole world, even through broken people. Of course, the story begins at the beginning of Genesis. God made the heaven and earth and created it good, announced it blessed, and then in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve believed the original lie that God was actually out to get them and was not for them and tried to grab the reins of power over the universe. And we live with the repercussions of that decision even today. We live in a fallen world. But God pursued his people. And through Abraham, then called Abraham, he announced a new blessing. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now we're in the story, really, of Isaac and Jacob. And it is indeed a rather broken story. And it's telling us that God blesses the world through broken individuals and indeed through Broken families. And that is not just encouraging, it is good news. Because what it means is, if that is indeed the case, that my life, your life, our lives, our brokenness can actually be a part of God's plan to bless the universe. We read uh, part of the story uh, this morning, but uh, of course it has its origins a little earlier in Genesis chapter 25. There in chapter 25, you have uh, Isaac and Rebecca, and they're fairly newly married, and Rebecca is pregnant, and she's pregnant with twins, and they're wrestling around inside each other. It's amazing what babies do in the womb. I remember well our firstborn child when I was sort of new to these things, for it was our firstborn child, noticing a hand go across um, excuse me, this is a little graphic, but you'll, get a, you'll be okay, and I'll get forgiveness later for telling the story for my family, I'm sure. A hand go across the stomach of my wife like a sort of fist moving across. It's like an alien. You know, what's going on in here? Rebecca had a sense that there was a wrestling within her. God told her that there were two nations in her womb. And indeed, he had a plan. A plan for both of them but a plan that actually, contrary to the usual way these things are done, that the younger would be the head, covenant, source of the blessing to all nations. And so Esau comes out. He's called Esau because Esau sounds like the word for hairy in Hebrew. Can you imagine that being your name? Hairy. And Jacob is called Jacob because as he comes out, he grasps the heel of his brother. And Jacob sounds like the Hebrew for grasping the heel or metaphorically for deceiving or cheating, which of course becomes important later. Well, the story continues. And as the two boys grow up, they grow up quite differently. Esau is very much a man's man, he's a hunter. Shooter, fisher type. He goes out and grabs the game and he's hairy as well. And his dad loves him. Indeed, he favors him. 
He's a man's man. He's the kind of son to warm the heart of any dad. Well, Jacob grows up quite differently. Jacob hangs around the tents and helps his mother with the cooking. He's a mama's boy. He's attached by apron strings. One day, as Esau has been out hunting, he comes back. He's probably been unsuccessful. He's certainly hungry, and he's somewhat frustrated, and he sees that Jacob has been cooking delicious food. Esau has an appetite much like his dad Isaac. And he decides that he will give everything for that meal. Indeed, he sells his birthright. So says the Bible, despising his birthright. And Jacob, being the deceiver, accepts it. But it's all unnecessary. God has a plan to bless broken families. Jacob, indeed, is going to be the head of the covenant blessing. Isaac, uh, the dad, um, starts to um, develop tendencies that perhaps are always there in his personality, perhaps were beginning as he had obviously a very dominant father, Abraham, father of many nations. And what, I wonder, would it have been like to have been the boy who looked up and saw his father over him with a knife at that moment that we saw last week? Isaac uh, develops into a slightly passive dad. And the chapter right before us, he's commended for some of the positivity aspects of this peacemaking, not wanting to rattle the cage kind of personality. He manages to broker a deal between the Philistines, and that's a good thing, but his passivity begins to lead to problems. For Isaac has a favorite, Rebecca has a favorite. And indeed, the two parents, by uh, the time it comes just before the passage we had read out this morning, are fundamentally split over their favorites, or one child over the other, and are only now united around the disastrous choice that Esau had made to marry not just one, but two wives who were not part of the believing community. Of course, Isaac had been very passive in that regard. Esau was 40 when he got married, around the same time that Isaac had got married, and Abraham had been very active in finding a wife for him, but Isaac had done nothing, it appears, and Esau took initiative to marry not just one, but two unbelieving wives. And then we come to our story. Isaac is old, and uh, he begins to set up a deathbed scene. Except everything that he does in this deathbed scene is highly inappropriate. To begin with, he says, I do not know when I'm going to die, which is hardly the kind of thing you would say at a deathbed scene. And actually, he doesn't finally die until chapter 35. At 180, and right now he's 
only about 80, if you can say only about 80. Certainly he's aged. His eyes are dim. He's going blind. He cannot see very well at all. It is quite possible that his sense of touch is going too. He is losing the sensitivity to distinguish between one surface or another. Perhaps like some older people, he would easily be burnt without realizing too late the effect of a hot surface. So he is certainly vulnerable, but it is not his deathbed scene. And indeed, he goes about it entirely inappropriately. If you want to know the right way to do it, look at the story of Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis, where Joseph gathers all his children and blesses them all. What is going on here is that Isaac is, as it were, setting up a will. And he is twisting the terms of his will so that all the inheritance would go to his favored son and the other child would get nothing. What's more, he does it without even informing his wife. Well, Rebecca was always a woman of great initiative and sharp and intellectual power and she spots what's going on. She's listening at the keyhole of the tent, as it were, and she moves into action. She'd always been a bit like this when she was picked by the servant of Abraham to be Isaac's wife. She uh, was asked, will you um, give me water by the servant? But she did not just give him water. She also watered all the camels, which must have been quite an achievement. She was a woman who took initiative. And Rebecca there listens at the keyhole of the tent and moves into action. She grabs her favorite boy. Listen, my son. Obey my voice. Do what I command you. She says that twice, verse 8 and verse 13. Obey my voice as I command you. She's yanking on those apron strings as hard as she can. Jacob demures, hesitates. Is he going to do what mummy tells him to do? But his hesitation is only that he might get found out, not that what he is being asked to do is fundamentally wrong. And so in the end, he goes along with the plan. Mum does the cooking. Probably she knows exactly what dad likes to eat. Dad appears not only to be a passive man, but a rather sensual man given to enjoying his dinner plate. And so he goes into the tent and starts the deception. Who are you? Oh, I'm Esau. Isaac, though his physical capacities had dimmed, his mental capacities had not. He begins to suspect that something is up. He draws him closer to him. He touches him. He announces the beginning of the formal designation of the will or the blessing, but doesn't actually sign on the dotted line until he is confirmed that this really is his son. He says, um, feels like my son, doesn't sound like my son, 
And then in a fascinating moment in the Hebrew, Jacob, having figured out that Isaac is on to something because his voice does not sound like his brother's voice, when he is asked, are you really my son, replies in the Hebrew with just one word. In English, it's I am, but in Hebrew, it's simply I. Can you imagine him kind of covering his mouth at that moment? <laughs> Trying to sound like Esau? We used to do this growing up, Our, my brothers and I. We had very similar voices. It sounds like they didn't. We would pass the phone among each other to see whether we can fool the other person. In fact, our voices sounded just like our dad. Some very important person would call up. We passed the phone around until it eventually got to dad. And he never says anything again in this scene. And so finally, Isaac announces the blessing. It's a very strange blessing. There is the Abrahamic sort of spiritual covenant blessing in it. But there's everything else in it as well, indicating again that what Isaac is planning to do is to give to Esau everything and leave Jacob entirely out in the cold. Instead, he does it for the other son. Well, Jacob exits stage left, and then in a moment of high drama, immediately afterwards, Esau appears. One of the commentators on this text, Gordon Wenham, puts it like this, the drama of this episode is among the most gripping in Genesis, and indeed in the Bible. Who are you then? says Isaac to Esau. I'm your son, Esau. Jacob, verse 33, trembled very violently. The Hebrew couldn't have found a more vigorous way of describing what was happening there. Isaac physically moves into severe panic. He trembles Very violently. And Esau, well, he cries out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Again, the Hebrew could not have found more words, more emphatic. Exceedingly great and bitter cry. Bless me too, Dad. Isaac's blessing has little of any positive legacy left to give, except that uh, one day Esau would break the stranglehold of Jacob. Well, the story we read out carries on as it caps the stone of this particular element of the story. Esau, of course, hates his uh, brother for this. He's about to become another Cain. 
And he starts muttering to himself what he's planning to do. When someone is very moved and very passionate, sometimes the thoughts of their head begin to appear on their lips. And so Esau is going around saying something like this, one day I'm going to get him. I'm going to pay him back. He'll see. And Rebecca once again is listening. And once again, a woman of initiative and sharp and bright, she takes action. She goes to her beloved son, Jacob, one more time, and once again exerts her maternal authority. Obey my voice. But this time, Jacob says nothing. Perhaps he realizes that what he has done is wrong. Perhaps he doesn't want to be told what to do by mom anymore. So Rebecca, as I say, a sharp woman, does what is the next best thing. She goes to dad. Mom and dad, now thoroughly estranged, only united around their joint dismay over the choice of Esau with his wives, trying to save Jacob to have him sent off, elevates this situation to dad without telling dad what to do and says, well, if uh, Jacob hangs around here, he's going to end up marrying just like Esau did. She just lets it float in the atmosphere. And so Isaac finally stirs himself, finally takes initiative and sends Jacob on his way to find a believing wife. Such is the story. It is one of the most poignant, moving stories in the Bible. What does it teach us? Well, I suppose at one level, quite simply, it teaches us that parents are not to play favorites. The same problem emerges later when Jacob favors Joseph. You would have thought of all people, Jacob would know that was not the right way to behave, but apparently not. Mom and dad, granddad and grandpa, make it your goal to make a favorite of each other. Let that be the affectionate hub, your relationship with your spouse. And your children, the hubs, the spokes that come out of the hub of that commitment. Essentially, what uh, Rebecca and, and Isaac were trying to do was they were trying to play God with their children. God had a plan, He had a plan to bless. But they couldn't let it lie. Don't play God with your children. Let God be the center of your relationship and then their relationships to you be the spokes that come out of the hub with God at the center and you around that. I suppose at another level, again, quite simplistically, uh, the story tells us that those who deceive will receive their own comeuppance. 
uh, Rebecca, uh, thinking that her loved son Jacob will only be gone for a few days, actually never sets eyes on him again. Jacob, the deceiver, well, he himself, of course, is deceived by Laban and forced to marry two wives as well, if they are both believers, at least, I suppose we may assume, but suffers the consequences of that unhappy bigamous marriage of them fighting for his attention for the rest of his life. Isaac's passivity, what is it that makes passivity such a temptation for men at home. We can be warriors outside the home, and then when we come home, we just turn on the television and ignore everything. Isaac's passivity, his sensuality for food, oh, that's a great meal. His attempted preferential treatment of his favorite older son, leaves him finally to be a lonely old man. A shortcut to quick success is always a fast route to lengthy disappointment. Don't deceive each other. Speak the truth in love. You know, in our day of mass marketing, constant spin, everyone trying to present the best possible version of themselves to each other, for us Christians to actually speak the unvarnished truth is a balm, a healing word for a world that longs to hear what is real. Speak the truth in love. In love, speak the truth. But actually, though these moral lessons are important, the most significant message of this story in the context of Genesis is really so encouraging. God has a plan to use broken families to bless the world. My brokenness, your brokenness, is no barrier to the sovereign grace of God. He is an expert in using sinners. At the most important level, the story is a story of grace and mercy. God's plan cannot be thwarted. The characters in this story are very human and very frail. They make mistakes. So do we. God uses them nonetheless. He can use us nonetheless. God's plan cannot be thwarted, not even by your sin. Not even by the betrayal Not of a Jacob, but of a Judas.
not even by the death of the Son of God incarnate. For even death cannot defeat him, and his power and providence rules all through the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is rich and merciful. The Lord is very kind. Oh, come to him, come now to him with a believing mind. His comforts, they shall strengthen thee like flowing waters cool. And he shall for thy spirit be a fountain ever full. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Praise him for his grace and favor to our fathers in distress. Praise him still the same forever, slow to chide and swift to bless. Praise him, praise him, glorious in his faithfulness. Let's pray together. We do praise you, Lord. We turn our eyes away from our failures and our sins. We turn our eyes away from our circumstances and our brokenness and our disappointments. We turn our eyes up to you, the fount of all blessing. How could it be, Lord, that you through these very human characters, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that are such heroes of the faith and yet so broken. How could you, through them, have a plan to bless the world? And there is only one answer to that question. Lord Jesus Christ, crucified for us, we bow before you and worship you. Would you take, Lord, this people here gathered, this group of your people, and in their families, and in their frailty, and in their fears, transform them by your Spirit increasingly to be a token of your grace and beauty and love. For I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.